I've got a question for you or like a kind of like a problem for you that I'm thinking about for this coming week. Oh, okay. Um, do you ever like write a menu and then maybe you have questions about how you'll execute it, but you're like, oh, well, I'll figure that out when it's time to mm-hmm. execute it. Um, but then the time comes and you're like, oh yeah, I don't really know. I, you've put yourself in a difficult situation kind of. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's not so it's not it's not so difficult, but I have an entree to serve this week. That's braised lamb shank, great. Mm-hmm. And then I really wanted to serve it with a. I just wrote white bean gratin on the menu. Okay. So it's like a mixture of, say, cannellini or northern whatever navy beans. It doesn't matter. A white bean mm-hmm. with like maybe dried tomato like oven dried tomato and kale or something but it's just like it's something that would be a casserole usually gotcha beans with like a cheesy bread crummy crispy top mm-hmm. and at the time that i wrote it, i was like oh i don't really know how to plate that and make it look like elegant mm-hmm. and now i have to figure out how to plate it and make it look elegant okay is it for a, a feature thing that you're doing or it's like a banquet style it's a banquet service for a wine dinner. So it's like a ticketed event. Wines are paired with courses. And I think we were talking about it like with the cassoulet last time we talked. Like just it, it's like mm-hmm. inspired by southwestern France. And so I wanted lamb and beans and crispy gratin. Um but like I I know I know it will taste good, but like I just can't like picture how to get a, a gratinade bean dish onto bean a plate onto a plate. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Any suggestions? Any ideas? How many people? Are you uh, like likely forty ish. Okay. Is it all going out at once? Or? Yeah. 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 Okay. I mean, I'm sure you've already thought about this, but like putting it in a dish. Mm-hmm. like a little ramekin on the on a yeah. plate kind of yep yep mm-hmm. like that's the first sort of easiest thing that i can think of mm-hmm. yeah that's sort of like the easy way out or something i mm-hmm. guess right maybe yeah i know what you mean is that possible is that is that like a thing that you've considered and is that a possibility or yeah yeah like it yeah i haven't gone and counted the little the ramekins, ramekins and stuff but yeah that that could work. I was wondering, there were a couple things that I had in the back of my mind when I wrote the menu. And one was there was like a, a technique for making really pretty gratin tops. Um, I think, sorry to say this so often, but I think I, it was in the 11 Madison Park cookbook. Uh-huh. And it's like a <laughs> man. <laughs> Almost every week. I, I think that yeah. like almost needs to go on to the drinking game. But yeah, for um, sure. Like if you make a mixture of soft butter and breadcrumbs and cheese and whatever else needs to be in there, like herbs and chives and bacon bits or whatever you want. Yeah. So it almost so it's like a soft um like play-doh like mass and then roll yeah. it roll it out between two pieces of parchment or acetate or something. And then uh-huh. you can like cut it into tidy shapes and chill it and pop it onto the thing that you want gratined. And then just brulee it with a torch. 
Yeah, or like under a salamander or something. And that that right. kind of like makes makes for a tidy top for the presentation. But if it's still beans underneath, like it's just going to like slough on the plate and yeah. kind of back to This is this is kind of the problem, I think. So yeah, the bigger problem is trying to make it so that you have beans that will stand up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> um like other really other random ideas i had were like if you take the beans that kind of split open during cooking you can mm-hmm. make a puree with them and that's like and kind bind of an the anchor. rest of the beans together kind yeah of. it could either like be something like an anchor or you could fold it into the rest of the mix but then like it doesn't really eat like like if you if you fold it in it doesn't I don't know. It, maybe it becomes, I know what you're saying. It's not really a cassoulet anymore. It's more like a bean puree right. or something. Yeah. You know? Or yeah. like you. I, the truth is, at the end of the day, like if it tastes good, I'm not too hung up on this. But like, it'd be nice mm-hmm. if it looked tidy and, um, like if there was something that you could kind of uh, wrap around itself to make a tidy enclosure for the beans. Yeah. Like it doesn't make sense for the dish, but like something like like a bacon strip or something like that. But Mm -hmm. um. (laughs) yeah, I mean, that would be, that would be awesome. And that would be one cool way of doing it for sure Mm -hmm. is to like, yeah, just bake bacon around ring molds Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then use that to contain the beans. I mean, yeah, I guess it doesn't like, yeah, Uh, you could make lamb bacon between now and (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um it's gotta be something 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 good <laughs> it's out there yeah i mean i wonder what would happen i don't know like i it's i think what i would be trying to do probably is try to make what's like kind of a bean like kind of a cassoulet but is kind of like held together by by like bean puree mm-hmm. it's probably what i would be aiming for mm-hmm. and then trying to brulee the top like either in a ring mold like put it in a ring mold and then put something on top and brulee it under a salamander or mm-hmm. or whatever i think that's what i would be trying yeah but the ramekin thing so much easier yeah for real i mean the the thing about the binding it with a puree like maybe it would prevent some of the sloughing, but it certainly wouldn't like stand. It, if you if you added enough bean puree for it to actually like stand upright and have height, like I think that it would mm-hmm. end up having the texture of hummus or something. Like, do you know what I mean like it would be too? Yeah. So what about this though? Like, what if you made like a really big circle of it on the plate, or a really big shape that was low, mm-hmm. but there was lots of it. Mm-hmm. And then you plated the lamb kind of on top of it, but like brulee half of it or something, mm-hmm. like gratin half of it. Right, so, yeah. so like put it on the plate so that so that it's like in a big circle or in a big shape. Mm-hmm. Is this for Valentine's Day? Maybe you could do a heart. <laughs> what, <laughs> what? What day is it? What? Where, where? It's this week show. <laughs> it's oh, November, yeah, right. and it's this week. Yeah. <laughs> I would, yeah, I don't, I always, I, I don't know when Valentine's Day is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> super harsh um but yeah like what if you yeah what if you made the bean component like the bottom of the plate like the first thing that went on the plate you know and so it was like you know kind of like two beans high ish so you can mm-hmm. make it like a really like you could if you have a really big ring mold or something or you can make a bunch of really big ring molds mm-hmm. um out of i don't know like some kind of container lids or Bacon. something <laughs> <laughs> not edible ones oh, just the okay, ones sir, that, yeah. just ones that you would use to plate yeah like yeah um some kind of or or like even it wouldn't even necessarily like it wouldn't have to have much height like the ring mold itself it mm-hmm. could just be mm-hmm. like a piece of plastic that was a template or something yeah and you put that on the plate and then you put the castellate into it and then you lift the template off mm-hmm. and then you put the cheese butter breadcrumb thing on like a section of it mm-hmm. and brulee the section of it and then on the other half you put the lamb shanks yeah so you still get enough bean puree you still get enough cassoulet on the plate it's kind of even more a little bit like a cassoulet because like a cassoulet would be like a full-on like dish of beans with something in it right Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know that i I think that's a good idea put beans all over the plate and then just gratin a part of it and then Mm -hmm. on the other part that's not gratin you can use it to like hold up the the meat and whatever other garnishes you're going to put on it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think of that? I think that it's worth a shot. It's, it's worth, then you don't it's have to make it high it. and you don't yeah. have to make it the right consistency so that it will stand up. I mean, you want to make it like you, you wouldn't. Yeah. Like it probably, cause like, like the wider it is, the less any like little imperfections are going to like take away from the overall shape of it yeah. or whatever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it sounds. I think it's a little weird gratining half of something, but <laughs> I don't know. But if the gratin is like kind of like w- with that technique I mentioned, like the gratin is kind of movable. Like you can just like plop down yeah. the gratin wherever, wherever you want. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. And you could make it a specific shape. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then so it could be like kind of a crescent or something so that it would be like on the outside of one part of the of the circle of beans and then the middle would still be like not gratin or it could be i don't know this would be complicated but the gratin part could be all around like the outside mm-hmm. or something and mm-hmm. then the inside could be where the lamb is or something i'm That'd taking notes kind of cool okay i'll figure <laughs> i'll let you know i'll let yeah. you know next week <laughs> you're gonna get to work tomorrow you're gonna look in the cupboard you're gonna be like 40 ramekins yep okay good (laughs) (laughs) no i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get to work and be like okay listen everyone the beans are the plate and uh where where you thought (laughs) the plate was gonna be now there's beans and the gratin (laughs) is where you thought the beans were gonna be just part of it is a gratin and then yeah then everyone's gonna be looking at you like who is this guy (laughs) Yeah. Who thought of this crap? <laughs> no, I can like I honestly I can I understand why like the the problems that I proposed are solved by that solution. I can't quite picture it in my head like it and and it's still looking like when the beans take up so much of the like there's no white space anymore. It when when I picture it in my head. Like right. It, well, it could be a it, rectangle. Right. You know, yeah. 
it could be a rectangle of beans. I don't know. Like, I don't like putting squarish stuff on round plates. Mm-hmm. But if you had rectangular plates. We've got loads of rectangle plates. <laughs> so it could be a rectangle of beans mm-hmm. and like half of it would, you know, like and it would just be a strip in the middle of the plate. So there would be white space around it or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and that's true. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to play around with it. I, yeah, definitely that occurred to me too. I was like, mm, you know, like I would have to be doing this in person to figure out a way to make it yeah, totally. look yeah. pretty, but yeah. I even, I even have square molds. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll work on it. I'll get back to you. Yeah. You let me know. Fault hashtag follow up. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Food Court. I'm Shale McDonald, and I'm here with my co-host, Alan Sutterby. Hey, Alan. Hi, Shale. We're two chefs from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We love food, and we love to talk about it. This is our 22nd episode. Can you believe that, Alan? No. Me neither. Doesn't that mean that it's Um, been a whole year? No, not quite. It's getting there. 26? Wouldn't 26 be a whole year? 26 would be, 20, 26 will be our anniversary. I think so. That doesn't sound right. I mean, the math <laughs> sounds right, but it doesn't feel like four episodes from now. We will have done a year's worth. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Yeah. So I don't love the intro, mm-hmm. <laughs> but like I couldn't really come up with anything better. And now that I've said it so many times, yeah. it like, I can't think of what i would change it to i don't know it's annoying anyways maybe i'll change it on the anniversary oh something fresh it seems like a good idea right you also i'm sure you remember this you had um when we were first starting you you had kicked around the idea of putting a pun oh no maybe it was in the outro but you you had kicked around the idea of doing a different food pun every single episode like right right now I think we've been, well, sorry, Bryn has been saying like, tune in in two weeks for a fresh new episode or something like that. Yeah, totally. Not a pun, but like it's still food related. <laughs> is it? Yeah, is it, I, I guess I'd call pun. it a pun. Okay. Yeah, okay, that's definitely a pun. A pun. Um, that's exactly what a pun is. Can you, okay, okay, sorry, it's a pun. Um, you don't regret, <laughs> you, you're glad that you didn't decide to do that, obviously, right? Because even even with all of the companies coming in, Best of Bridge books that we have like surely you would have run out of or we'll, we'll run out of food j- jokes and puns in my heart yeah. of hearts oh no you can never no no there's like okay how many episodes could we realistically ever conceive of possibly doing 24 like, what <laughs> like a dagger in my heart alan even this one's a stretch. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, but like, you know, let's say let's say we had it in us to do a thousand episodes of this show. Yeah. Like, can you imagine a thousand episodes? Like that would be what, twenty years from now? A <laughs> hundred divided by twenty-five is four. So a thousand divided four. by twenty-five so, would be forty, right? Oh my god, forty years? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, forty years from now, I'm eighty-seven years old. 
We're still doing the podcast. <laughs> we got a million plus listeners. The community is just thriving. <laughs> I'm in the best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you are or not. <laughs> if there's podcasts every week, we have to come up with a food pun for the <laughs> outro. There's more than a thousand food puns, Alan. Yeah, but do you want to find them? Do you want to think about them? <laughs> well, that's the whole thing, right? Clearly not, because I haven't been. Right. However, in my heart of hearts, I still wish that that was a thing. I wish that we ended every episode, or I wish the credits contained a new food pun every week. I guess we'll just have to see if it's ever if it ever feels attainable. Right now, it's not really attainable because it's difficult to re-record the outro every time we do an episode. It's just a little bit of extra work that right now is like... That's not the difficult part of it. The, hard, the difficult part is the mental effort of thinking of a new food pun every week. Even if obviously, theoretically, there are a thousand food puns, like that's exhausting. Trying to think of one that lands... I don't know. I think it would be fun. It doesn't have to land. It doesn't have to be a good one every week or every second week. I mean, I don't, you know, like, yeah, it does. Like, not everyone's going to be the best one we ever came up with. That's not the, uh, it's okay to fail. But, but like, you know, the actual, the actual time that it takes to make that happen at this point is not, is just not feasible, unfortunately. Mm. However, I don't know. It's good to have it's good when, to have stretch goals, Alan. Once we it's have good to have like once we have staff. Once we have a um <laughs> yeah, an exactly intern, <laughs> an intern. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once we have a writer's room, it'll be easy. Yeah. <laughs> Come up with a thousand puns a week, Alan. <laughs> oh man, I so badly want to leave that whole conversation in. At 42. We already have an episode. We don't even need to get to the topic this week, Alan. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. Alan, do you want to introduce our topic? Yeah, I'll introduce the topic. Um, can you just remind me what it is? Oh, no, I remember now. It's um, Epic Kitchen Fails. Is that, I don't know what sure. the word is. Big, big mistakes. Big mistakes you made in the kitchen. Is that right? Yeah. Yep, that's exactly right. Your most embarrassing failures. Yeah. <laughs> the things that the things that happened to you that you didn't learn anything from they just happened <sighs> and was the worst thing that happened to you. <laughs> well that's funny okay so when i i threw out the idea for sorry i i i suggested this as a topic idea mm-hmm. um kind of offhand i had one in my mind and then even earlier today i think i'd mentioned you i don't know if i have any others that i can really recall at all but Right. Once I started thinking about it as a, you know, that time that that thing happened <laughs> that you said to yourself, I never want this to ever happen again for the rest of my life. And I was like, yeah, oh, totally. yeah, actually, there's a a few of those. And that's how they. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking of them just as like, oh, these crazy, embarrassing things that happened, just like they've been not to like trivialize um ptsd and stuff but like almost these kind of traumatic effects where it's like oh yeah that can never happen again and so i'm going to be watching for that um for the rest of my career kind of thing and and then and then a few more came to mind for sure 
Right. The, the problem that I kind of ran into is that, like, I think that a lot of the, like, what you were just des- describing, like, a lot of the things that, okay, that can never happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those things for me are injuries. Well, and I'm sure for you too. Okay. Um, yeah. And I'm sure for a, a lot of kitchen folk, but I didn't really want, like, injuries doesn't really fit, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've already talked about kitchen injuries. And I mean, it's not that we won't ever talk about it again probably but definitely for some people who listened to that episode i think it was somewhat triggering so yeah that's interesting i didn't actually think about that but it totally fits the theme but yeah all all of mine were like uh basically like related to the food that was served and the customer experience or or something like that where it's like oh yeah that didn't go well and that can't happen again yeah oh so you have some like customer experience ones oh yeah 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 i see i was trying to think of some customer experience ones and like i don't know like i haven't had too many of those where like food that was really embarrassing made it to a guest i mean Mm -hmm. like things happen you know like you serve like 500 of something and somebody finds a hair in one of them i mean you know that is embarrassing Mm. um and there are things that you can do to try and mitigate it but you know like when you're serving food to people every day all the time like little things like that are bound to happen or little mistakes like that are bound to happen Mm -hmm. but um but yeah like i i couldn't think of too many where where I was like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed that somebody ate that and I made it or something like that. Mm -hmm. I do have a good one where (laughs) I won't spoil it. (laughs) I do have one good customer service related or like actual. Yeah. So should we go back and forth or what what do you think? Uh, Sure. Yeah. And like my, I think of mine more or less chronologically because I like over the course of my career where it's like, yeah one of the earliest ones is is really like it's certainly within the first year of um cooking as a job uh and yeah more really in the in the first few months actually um that i think given my inexperience i'm like i'm not i'm not too embarrassed by it but it did uh well i remember it i remember it even these uh 13 <laughs> Obviously years it left later, the yeah. mark on you so my my first kitchen job was at a place called Halbert's Restaurant, um, which t- <laughs> technically is in McKernan, but most people will tell you it's in Belgravia, but that's a whole other issue. That's a whole episode <laughs> to itself. But um, it was like a um, by day coffee house, soup salad sandwich kind of affair, but they did a lot of um, live music at night. And um, the first the the new year's eve the first year that i was working there um mm-hmm. they hosted a murder mystery and i think it was like maybe even it was a it, it had it was a period piece it was like a ni- like 1920s uh murder mystery and okay. i was in the kitchen i've never been to like an actual murder mystery night oh really i'm having trouble picturing how that would work in a restaurant that's one big room i would assume that you need like a house where there's multiple rooms or something but i don't know okay well i'll uh you'll see soon enough that i don't remember we can a do lot an episode of the details about that later. <laughs> um when the murders happen they turn the lights out so if i don't know if that would if that is helpful to you 
Um, Sounds frightening. So I can't remember. I think I think everybody was eating the same menu, and uh, we had these uh, ribs, like pork ribs, that we were very proud of. I think it was even one the owner's mother's recipe, possibly. Um, okay. And we were serving that that night, and we uh, braised the ribs till they were tender, and then they were left uncovered in the oven. And I can't remember if I had asked for instruction or misunderstood instructions or I don't know what happened, but I left them in a convection oven on high fan and the oven was like the temperature Mm. was relatively low and the ribs were tender, but I left them uncovered in an oven, high fan, hot holding for potentially, I don't know what, say an hour to the point that they were tough and leathery and dry and more like beef jerky. And they got served to an entire room of people. I don't remember if it was like we found out that they were dried and then we served them or if it didn't come to light until I, I really, I honestly don't remember that, but I do remember when the murders happened, someone, someone, <laughs> someone turned out the lights and then there was like some kind of uh, gunshot effect played and the lights came right. back on and someone was on the floor and the, with the first murder, when, um, the lights came back on and somebody shrieked, oh my goodness, he's dead or whatever. Um, one patron turned to another and said, huh, must have had the ribs. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh no. And so that oh, I'm sorry, that Alan. literally 13 <laughs> years ago. And I remember that comment. It's burned into my brain. Um, <laughs> but it, if I can try and like be the culinary instructor and like put a, a kind of like cap on the story, it's like I do think that that experience and every experience like that, where like you messed up, whether it was because of inexperience or because of inattention or a mistake or whatever, it like it it basically it turned on a part of my brain where I was like, oh, right. like this is something that I need to pay attention to, and details like this can. Make, make make or break yeah, exactly yeah um yeah. but yeah that was the first big uh the big the first big gaff where it was like okay that didn't work yeah that's pretty sad those poor ribs mm-hmm. i mean people those poor people <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, it's funny yeah like like i was saying before i don't really i can't think of too many situations where i mean definitely i've put things out that i'm more that i was more or less pleased with but yeah i don't think i've like put out food to like a whole restaurant or like put out like dishes all night that then later on i was like oh this food is like kind of inedible or something like that right i mean i've definitely (laughs) kind of inedible yeah yeah (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've definitely done that at home or like for making meals for like friends and family, things like that. But in most of the restaurant situations that I've been in, and I think, you know, in my early career, I was lucky enough to be in situations where people saved me, you yeah. know, what if I was in that situation. It's not that I, it's not that I never messed anything up and messed up lots of things. Right. But, you know, I, I think in most cases they didn't really make it to the customer, mm-hmm. which is like a testament to the you know, people who were working above me in the restaurants that I was working in, in terms of making sure that the product that we were putting out 
you know, was meeting a certain standard or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. So that's lucky. It's too bad. It just, that, made, uh, it just made me feel so much worse about what I just shared with you. So, but <laughs> well, um, that wasn't the intent. <laughs> Were you the last line of defense for those ribs, or what? It was a very small team. Uh, right. I don't. I, I. I don't know really where the buck stopped, but um, right. I think for most of that night, I might have been the only person in the kitchen. You know, because there oh, was a murder mystery yeah. to run. <laughs> But it was a long time ago. And I so really... the person who would normally be expediting and putting the plates up up in the window was too busy making sure that the gun sound effect was going <laughs> off. And then, <laughs> damn. <laughs> okay. Well, your I turn. Guess I have one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, one of my before I even really started my. Um, actual cooking career. I had a cooking job at the Turtle Creek Cafe in Edmonton. This is a long time ago. I think I was 19 years old or something like that mm-hmm. at the time. Oh, on 109th Street. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I ate there. On 109th Street, where now there is a Domino's, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, uh, but yeah, like this, I remember as like my first kind of like taste of, oh, like things can really go wrong. Like, (laughs) like if you're not careful and if you're not paying attention, stuff can happen that really causes problems for everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, it's just like a dumb thing. And I'm sure that actually there's sort of like another category of, of like these kitchen fails that I think like that everyone at some point has probably done. And maybe this kind of falls into that category. Like, I don't know, maybe some people are lucky enough to never have had this happen to them, but I feel like to some extent (laughs) or like probably most cooks have to learn this the hard way at some point. Mm -hmm. But I was like, it was like in the middle of service, it was quite busy. Um, we uh, needed a restock of tomato sauce on the line mm-hmm. and kind of before I, I think I was like sort of training to be a line cook, but you know, I was kind of like the second on a station. And so I was like running to the cooler to grab me on place when we were like running out of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was like a tomato sauce. I don't, I think it might've been for pizzas um, that uh, you know, we had like, I don't know, a hundred liters of on hand in the fridge at all times, like in big 20 quart Cambros. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I went and we had run out of like the actual, like the regular size container backups that we had. And, um, so I was going to like fill up some, some like one third containers or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I grabbed a 20 liter Cambro of tomato sauce and like slipped and dropped it on the floor in the walk-in. Mm-hmm. And it spilled everywhere. So it just like 20 liters of tomato sauce was instantly on the floor, which it, which like is enough tomato sauce to cover the entire floor mm-hmm. in most walk-in coolers, <laughs> which means that it immediately like goes under all of the shelving and all the way back to the very back corners of the fridge. The entire floor is covered. So now... A, we have no tomato sauce on the line. Mm-hmm. B, the huge like amount of tomato sauce that we had in the fridge is now like a quarter gone and it's on the floor. And C, 
nobody can go into the fridge because it's completely <laughs> covered with tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And it's the middle of a busy service. And then suddenly you realize, oh, like you can just <laughs> spill 20 liters of tomato <laughs> sauce on the floor if you're not careful. Yeah. That's a bummer, right? Where um, it's like you realize yeah. how much hinges on these really inane tasks and <laughs> right exactly and like it and and before you know like before that happened to me it never occurred to me that that could happen <laughs> that i would drop you know that i would dump the whole container of tomato sauce on the floor like or, I, or that that could ruin a service like dropping something right yeah 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 it makes exactly a, doesn't it make you feel like a navy seal or something you're like you just can't <laughs> The the error the, the margin of error is so narrow you can't even drop yeah. four quarts of tomato sauce. <laughs> four quarts, Alan. Well, I thought you said a I wish a quarter of a twenty. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, it was a whole. Oh, it, was it was twenty whole liters. Okay. Yeah, yeah, four <laughs> gallons more like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's a pretty serious. Yeah. and actually, like I have another one that's like very similar that I was gonna like talk about later on but maybe i'll just like roll it into this because like <laughs> let me guess you drop 20 quarts of aioli on the floor i'm just kidding i don't know <laughs> so like but you know like you make a mistake like that and then you're like okay well you know i, I have to be careful about how i handle big containers of things and mm-hmm. stuff like that you know mm-hmm. and and then you do get more careful like you were saying yep. like something like that happens and then like it stays with you and you always like it's always in the back of your mind whenever you're handling it like i mean i don't think about that specific incident every time i'm picking up a 20 liter cambro full of something but like you know sometimes and and like i'm always careful when i'm picking up something that heavy that's like full of liquid Mm -hmm. now i'm way more careful than i you know was back then um (laughs) <laughs> but bad things can still happen. Yeah. Um. So I, one day, it, it was when, I can't remember if you were working for us, but uh, it was when we were in the kitchen at 118th and we, we would like deliver um, sandwiches and soups and stuff to Elm Cafe at the end of the day. Every day we would like do a run and bring a whole bunch of stuff for their following morning. Okay. Yeah. At the end of our kitchen prep day, mm-hmm. there would be a delivery that we would take to the cafe at the, so that they would have the food that they needed for the next day. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day it had been like a super long day. I think I'd been in the kitchen for 12 hours and then I was delivering um, a bunch of product to Elm Cafe on my way home. And so the cafe was closed for the day. I was finished for the day. I was just like dropping this stuff off on the way home. Mm-hmm. I, um, they had like a stand-up fridge that um, that they hold held most of their product in, and there was uh, a huge like twenty quart Cambro in there of soup. Don't remember what kind. I don't believe you. Surely you know what kind. <laughs> and um so i was like you know pulling things out of the fridge and moving things around to like be able to fit the new product in and rotate it and everything Mm -hmm. and i was like um uh so the soup was like up on a shelf and i was sliding a like a bus bin of sandwiches in below the shelf Mm -hmm. 
and uh, it like knocked one of the sh- clips that holds the shelf in place. Right. Yep. And the shelf dislodged, and the soup came directly at me. <laughs> quickly made like a 90 degree turn from vertical to horizontal mm-hmm. like went all down the entire front of me and and then like all in like and then spilled all into the inside of the fridge mm-hmm. and then it spilled into the inside of the fridge and then there was so much of it that it like hit the back of the fridge and then came back out the front <laughs> of the fridge and then the floor is sloped in the in like the room where the fridge is Mm. so it like hit me went back into the fridge (laughs) went all over every bus bin and container that was like in the bottom of the fridge Mm. and then like poured out the front of the fridge onto the floor and then the floor slopes back behind the fridge and all of that soup just like (laughs) ran (laughs) underneath the back of the fridge Mm. Oh my god! And it pro- prolonged your day by an hour to clean it all up by ninety minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it took ninety minutes to clean up that mess. It was, oh man, I was so sad. I was so defeated. Like that is legit one of the worst, like one of the worst feelings. I I felt pretty defeated when I've injured myself a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Like, like, ugh, maybe this isn't the career for me right. or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, is there a way out of this so that I never have to cut myself like that ever again? Like, right. you know, yeah. the, that thought occurs to you briefly when you like injure yourself. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's not, you know, this is not okay. Um, But yeah, like that really made me question my life choices. It was the friggin' worst because I had to empty the entire fridge in order to be able to move it. And I had to move the fridge on my own. And then I had to clean 20 liters of soup up off the floor right. and then I'll off of everything that it had spilled on in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And there's not like a dishwasher there that you can like run things through. It's like, right. you know, yeah. There's like some towels and a mop bucket and a mop. And, <laughs> you know, that's what you're, <laughs> that's what you're dealing yep. with. So, yeah. Spilling things. It's a horrible mistake. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah. Luckily, I've never like spilled a large quantity of something hot on myself. I know a couple people right. who have done that and that can be like super dangerous, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I fortunately have not run into that so far. What else you got, Alan? The next the next traumatic kitchen mistake in my career came 2 years after the story that I started with. And it was actually during a cooking competition. And it's going to sound like a kind of cop-out because in a way, you might say that it wasn't my mistake. But the, <laughs> the point of the story is that it really was my mistake. Um, so it was, uh, a, a there, there used to be a, every year there was a competition at Nate for the culinary students. And it was called the Touk de Magny. And okay. they don't, I don't know when it ended, but they don't do it anymore. Um, but first year culinary students were paired with second year culinary students. And there were some uh, menu requirements, but basically you could write your own menu and you would cook it for a panel of industry judges and serve it to mm-hmm. to them and to a dining room full of people. 
And the first year I did that competition, like since I was the junior partner, it was the the menu and the a lot of the planning was done by the uh, the second, second year, year student. student. And we did our day of prep and things were going okay. And we got to the day of service and again, things are going okay. Uh, we, she had told me like, yeah, so our, our entrees need to be up at whatever it was, 630, something like that. And I think our feature for the entree was like an elk, uh, elk strip loin. And so around six o'clock, we like are whatever preheating pans and seasoning the strip line and getting ready to fire it and then um someone came by and said okay uh group seven you know entrees up in 15 minutes and we said no no no, no, no. we're at 6 30 like no no it's on schedule right here um 6 15 and so the schedule she had been read incorrectly and so we're like just oh by the second year by, student. Well, I mean, who I'm then pass that information along to you? Yeah, or? I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. I'll, I'll have I have like a kind of moral to the story, but but the, okay. the short the the gist of it is that yeah, we like threw the plates together and ended up serving like blue rare, if that strip loin. Oh, and no. did not do did not do well, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, but the, it kind of, I, again, like not a very sensitive comparison, but the kind of trauma of that was that like, I, I stopped trusting anybody at any time. <laughs> like, I, I'm sorry. I mean, within a kitchen context, like I still trust like my wife and stuff, but, um, in, in, right. in the kitchen, but you context, don't trust me. <laughs> well, no. it was like, right. Like, let's be real. You don't trust shit. Like you need it. <laughs> It was like, okay, like from now on, like I have eyes on everything. Like I, yeah. someone says it's good, but then I look at it or someone says it's good and then I taste it. And this is like just kind of one step along the path. Like I, I don't think that, I think we've talked about this before. Like you do need to build teams that you can trust and like you shouldn't yeah, have obviously. to do every little thing. But at that point it was like, okay, from now on, like until, until whatever, for the foreseeable future, like I need to really, like, I'm going to have eyes on, on everything that's relevant to my station. And, um, yeah, yeah, it was, you're right. And that is very important. Like it's a, it's a very important lesson to learn, like Mm -hmm. that if you don't have eyes on it, then you actually don't know if it's okay or not. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, totally. And you know, like it, like I think that is also very important like even when you do start to delegate and like when when you're delegating like you like you said you wind up in situations where you do have to have people that you trust to do certain things mm-hmm. and you know sometimes those people will also make a mistake right and you know run into a situation like some of the things that we're discussing Mm -hmm. and everyone sort of has to be free to also make those mistakes but i think like the most important thing is trying to like design a system where those mistakes as little as possible will it like will affect the customer experience as little as possible right right? yeah 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 it was like not uh yeah i think it's kind of a separate discussion if you want to talk about what it is to be a manager and a leader and stuff. But like for a, mm-hmm. for a fledgling line cook, that was like a very important lesson where it's like either your station's ready because you've looked at everything or your station's not ready because you haven't 
looked at everything. Like it's right. it's a different and then different mentality than we could probably do a whole episode about this, but like <laughs> you know that feeling when you know that there's something that you haven't looked at mm-hmm. on your station? Yeah. And service is approaching and you know that you don't have time to actually check and make sure that that thing is okay or yeah and then murphy's and then you're rolling into service with some unknown in the back of your head and you're like oh my god fingers crossed i have another backup of that or like whatever well two okay so two things about that first of all there's i don't know if this is part of like our lore but to me there's like there's murphy's law of line cooking and it's like whatever you have the least of that's what you'll sell the most of and whatever (laughs) you didn't make a backup of that's what you'll sell out of like that kind of thing um but the other thing is like the (laughs) the way that i think about it is the taking the time to check for those kinds of things is more important than taking the time to reprep them like it's more (laughs) it's more important to know going into the service Mm -hmm. where the holes are than to actually try and fill the holes if that makes (laughs) it's a weird way to put it but um does that make sense yeah it totally makes sense and i understand exactly what you mean but sometimes there's you know like and and like i totally agree and that's how i would you know set up a station Mm -hmm. is like i would have a checklist of things to check on before you know before i start deciding what to prioritize in terms of reprepping or something like Mm -hmm. that right like the checking is the first step and then the prioritization is the second step because you can't really prioritize properly if you don't have all the information yeah but sometimes there's not time to get all the information and that is a scary feeling like to me that's like the worst feeling like when there's just not time to get all the information that you need to make the decision properly Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. it's the worst because once you have the information, like even, and I'm not, this isn't a good habit to get into as a line cook, but like worst case scenario, if you know you don't have it and you know that it's impossible to prep it, then you just tell the servers and you make a count. And like, that's, yeah. that's the end of the prep item. And you're kind of just exactly. offloading the burden of that to the servers like and explaining it to the guests and stuff but like it's much it's a but it's much way better. better than having a customer order <laughs> exactly, something yeah and then the server put in the order and then like <laughs> yeah three minutes later yeah. you see it on a bill and you're like oh we don't have that and then you tell the server yeah. and then the server has to go back to the customer like 15 <laughs> minutes after they place their order and be like oh Actually, I'm really sorry, but we don't have that. Not so. only have we not started cooking your supper, we also don't. But we don't even <laughs> have it. So do you want to just maybe get something else and your food is actually just going to be like 20 minutes later than everyone else is yeah, at the table? Exactly, or? yeah. Yeah. Nightmare. Yeah. Yep, you're right. Way better to know. That was yours. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the elk strip loin. Remember the elk? <laughs> oh yeah, right. <laughs> there was. Don't try to tell me there weren't blueberries on that plate. Oh, that's a good. Well, you know what? I didn't write the menu, so I, I honestly don't remember. We had some <laughs> yeah, kind sure. of raw fish appetizer and some kind of elk oh, strip cool. loin entree and some kind of chocolate mousse dessert, but I honestly don't remember anything else about the menu. I was also in a cooking competition in school. Yeah. But I took the apprenticeship program. Mm. So our competition was just at the end of our third year, and it wasn't for everyone. Um, I think you had to have a certain grade to 
be included in the cooking competition. I can't remember what it was called, um, but I didn't do very well. Was it- certain parts of my certain parts of my dish were good, but um, but yeah, like I on that competition day, I was like looking around me at how some of the other cooks were cooking, and like it was clear that. <laughs> my like organizational (laughs) skills and like my ability to like understand how to execute my menu like in the space and in the time was just like i you know like i was light years behind a couple of other people that were cooking there that day like it was an individual competition yeah it was individual and a friend of mine who like we went to school at the same time Mm -hmm. he also cooked in that competition on that day and he did really well up until um his dessert Mm -hmm. uh so like as he was getting ready to put out his dessert um he was also like breaking down his station and cleaning things up so that he would be like cleaned up and ready to go by the time his food was all out Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. and while he was (laughs) (laughs) i haven't talked to him in a long time and i don't know (laughs) i kind of feel bad telling this story but we don't have to say his name. So. Jordy, oh, you hear me just... talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I have all the empathy in the world for you in this situation. Um, but yeah, he was breaking down his station and putting things away. And his dessert was a creme brulee. Mm-hmm. And at some point while he was breaking down, he uh, accidentally dumped his salt into his sugar. Oh, really? And so he like put and and so when he went to make his brulee he took what he thought was the sugar Mm -hmm. and put it on top of his brulee and started torching it and it would not melt and he was like what is happening Mm -hmm. (laughs) like i've never had this problem before and um then we tasted it and we realized that he had just like put salt all over the tops of all of his brulees Mm -hmm. and so that kind of ruined his chances so what do you do on the like can you can you scrape down into the custard to remove it and then just have a not like a not skating rink smooth brulee or you just you just I go mean home? I guess you could do that yeah like I, I don't know like even that like once you because like yeah the top of the custard is like so nice and flat and like usually has like a little bit of a skin that kind of protects the sugar mm-hmm. from like getting wet right away Mm -hmm. i don't i I think if you tried to like scrape a flat top on your brulee like you would just i don't know i i just don't think it would work like i i think you would have to put on too much sugar to have it be like the right yeah anyways like it was it was an unfixable like we tried to scrape off as much of the salt as possible and like get it back to a state where it would be servable Mm. but just like I'm picturing, you, okay, so you just turn it all upside. Oh, no, no. If you turn it upside down, does the custard fall out? Is it that delicate? Uh, I mean, if it's a good custard, then yes. <laughs> <laughs> turn it all upside down, put the sugar on, brulee it. It tastes salty, but then you're like, it's a salted caramel creme brulee. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That's yeah, a tough one. If it, yeah, if it happened to be caramel creme brulee, then you, yeah. Salted vanilla? Yum. I don't remember what it was. But he had like open an open dish of sugar and an open dish of salt on his... Oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't he matter. had all his mise en place in like... <laughs> he had all his mise en place in like little deli containers. Mm-hmm. And 
and he was consolidating things mm-hmm. and he absentmindedly and and he had the sugar like set aside for his creme brulees yeah. but he absentmindedly like poured the mm-hmm. salt he like downsized his salt into his sugar yeah so sad just the very fact that he was a culinary student who was downsizing i think that he's going to be okay <laughs> oh yeah he is great he was a great cook yeah. I don't think he's doing it anymore, but yeah. Oh, I was like, he's either dead or not cooking anymore. If you say he was a he was a better cook than I was at the time. Yeah. Like I, like yeah, and yeah, he was working in better restaurants than I was at the time, and yeah, I, I kind of idolized his uh, his skill set. You really envied this guy, eh? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Up until then, <laughs> you probably put the salt in his sugar. <laughs> oh, Alan, come on. <laughs> I did not do you that. I think you're so good, Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if I really, yeah, exactly. If I really wanted to beat him, then I should have I should have not overcooked my pineapple upside down cakes. <laughs> is, that, is that what your dessert was, or is that just your default anecdote dessert? <laughs> no, that's that was, legit that what was, my yeah. dessert was. It was individual. It was individual pineapple upside down cakes. Oh, that sounds fancy. Yeah, except I overcooked them and then they were dry. And I mean, just don't go with cake, <laughs> shale. You're supposed to do in competitions. You're always supposed to do a souffle. That's what one of my, oh. one of my instructors in culinary school said. Do a souffle because if you nail it, you'll win. And if you don't nail it, you don't deserve to win. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean that's that's kind of fair. Um. I do remember actually one of oh, we're way off topic now, but one of my one of my like favorite kitchen success moments was when I was in school uh, was on souffle day, and I don't know why. Like, it, well, I I I understand how to make good souffles, and I have made them um, a few times, um, but yeah, like I had I had never really made them before, mm-hmm. not in not in the proper way, and yeah, on souffle day in school. I don't know exactly what I did, but my souffles were like perfect. Mm-hmm. Like I couldn't believe it. <laughs> they were like the tops were like completely flat and horizontal and the sides were like completely vertical mm-hmm. and like they rose like I don't know, a third of like a third of the height of the ramekin out of the tops of the ramekins. They were like so picture perfect and the instructor was kind of like <laughs> How I don't think I've ever seen a souffle like that. They were crazy. I got complimented. That's good. That's good. But you, yeah. it's not duplicable. I like I. I think it is, but I I don't think that I could do it. I don't think that I could do it first On try. Demand, like yeah. I haven't made souffles in like a few years. I don't think that I could walk down to my kitchen right now, grab the ramekins, and make a souffle that came out like that mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Like you know, and that was like my first ever. First ever, really. So, beginner's luck, I guess. Well, it's nice when that happens really publicly, like in a classroom. Yeah, exactly. It <laughs> felt good. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to my failures. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, when I was working at Havana Restaurant mm-hmm. in Vancouver, I worked there for a couple of years, two and a half years, maybe, something like that, for quite a while. It was like... The first restaurant that I worked at when I was really, you know, starting to take my career as a cook seriously. Right. And also, um, 
that's the restaurant where I was working when I went to school, when I went to culinary school. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, the, like the busiest time of the week was brunch Mm -hmm. Saturday and Sunday brunch were just crazy. Like the restaurant was packed the whole, I don't know, whatever it was, four or five hours that we were open. It was lined up before the restaurant would open. You'd open and within five minutes, there would be like 10 bills. Like Mm -hmm. it was just, you know, it was just packed from start to finish five hours nonstop as busy as a restaurant of its size can be. Mm -hmm. And it was like a pretty well-known restaurant in Vancouver. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it got like, it wasn't like, it wasn't downtown. It was a little bit off the beaten path, but it got like a lot of recommendations from like, um, hotel concierges and things like that. Mm-hmm. Cause it was sort of like, you know, a more like, I don't know. I don't know what the best way of describing it is, but like, it was more of like a real world vancouver experience okay yeah. by way of havana yeah. Yeah. <laughs> by way of cuba i guess <laughs> that makes no sense um anyway um it was a pretty well-known restaurant and sometimes we'd get celebrities that would come and dine there oh, really yeah and, and we usually like kind of got a little bit of a heads up from a concierge or from like someone who is like in an actor's entourage or something. A lot of movies film in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are Hollywood actors in town all the time. And I mean, Danny DeVito ate there one time while I was working. That was pretty awesome. Really? Yeah. Is that, um, (laughs) like you could only name, I don't remember what you can only name one celebrity that ate there. And that's the one that you have offered up. I, how do you mean? (laughs) Should I start listing them? <laughs> well, no. Danny DeVito is, that's a get, man. Yeah, Danny no, DeVito's is fucking rad, dude. Yeah. Well, I'm really okay. cursing a lot tonight. Who's more famous than Danny DeVito? I don't understand what the problem is. Yeah, it, do, it does seem like something that should be the start of a list where it's like, I mean, there was Danny DeVito, there was Christian Bale, there was ScarJo, right, right. there was whatever. <laughs> I'm sure Christian Bale and ScarJo <laughs> both ate there. Uh, I did recently rewatch LA Confidential, and so I, I do. I'm a I'm a Danny DeVito fan. I yeah, I'd I'd be honored to cook for him. Sorry, I'm I. That's not where what I, that's not how I wanted that to play. I wasn't trying to. Fair enough. I really thought you were going to name more people, but I'm listening. Well, I'm going to go on to name another celebrity as part of this epic story of <laughs> failure well, don't build it up too much, but okay. <laughs> so one day i was cooking brunch um and it was crazy busy mm-hmm. as usual and you know we try to accommodate most people's like dietary concerns and things like that mm-hmm. but when it's that busy sometimes it's tough to like do certain things mm-hmm. or whatever and uh so one morning, uh, you know, it was crazy busy. We're cooking. Joe Mantegna comes in. It's like at peak busyness. It was like right around noon or one o'clock or something. Mm-hmm. We were just slammed. And um, yeah, Joe, Joe Mantegna came in. I think he was at a table with like three other people. Sorry, that's the famous uh, quarterback, Joe Montana. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, 
Do you know who Joe Mantegna no, is? No, I don't. Oh, okay. Have you seen The Usual Suspects? Yeah. Okay, he's like the the police officer oh. or the detective in The Usual Suspects who is interviewing Kevin Spacey's okay, yeah, character. Yeah, okay, yeah, I can picture yeah. him, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, anyways, he comes in and they order and he asks for an egg white omelet. Mm-hmm. We have... Uh, actually, I don't even remember. Well, I think we, yeah, we had omelets on the menu. Mm-hmm. Omelet was like a normal thing. No problem. Mm-hmm. Egg white, kind of a problem because we didn't have any just like egg whites kicking around. Right. Um, and so someone had to separate eggs mm-hmm. in order to make him an egg white omelet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were like, great, it's for Joe Mantegna. <laughs> You know, we'll do, we want him, we want him to be happy. We want him to recommend that his friends come here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to make him a really great egg white omelet, but it was like just so busy and there was nobody that could like step off the line to like separate eggs. Mm -hmm. And so, and it was already going to be like, uh, you know, like everyone in the restaurant was already waiting, like, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes for their food because it was just so busy. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we kept like saying we were going to do it and (laughs) not being able to actually execute it. And, and then like, you know, his, his server came back to us a couple of times and was like, uh, you know, like when's this omelet thing going to happen? Like, um, you know, they're kind of getting antsy and we'd like to put out their food as soon as possible. And we were like, yeah, yeah, we're going to make it work. And then like, we just couldn't. And I think he waited like 45 minutes for his food. And then he was like, nope, got to go. And he just like got up with his whole party and left. And we didn't even feed him. Mm-hmm. So that was super horribly embarrassing. And I felt like really bad. Right. I don't think I was running the line, but I might as well have been like, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it was definitely something that, it was a problem that I was trying to solve along with wh- whoever else was there on the line with me mm-hmm. and we were just not able to solve it. And so, yeah, um, a really famous, important guest just walked out of the restaurant without food. Mm-hmm. Probably not very happy. So are you apologizing to him right now? Yeah, Joe. Come over anytime. I'll make you an egg white omelet. <laughs> is it, but is it, is it kind of like, is it kind of like we were talking about earlier where, it's more important to just get in front of the problem and say yay or nay, like, yes, we're going to do it and we'll do it right now. Or no, sorry, we can't do that right now. And that would have made the yeah. whole thing a lot, even if it kind of stung at first, like it in the, in the end, it would have made for a better result or not. Like I'm not trying to most definitely yeah, like not trying to nitpick this one yeah. situation, but I feel like there's, it's almost like there's a situation like that every night where it's like we just recognize that there's gonna, something's going to be a problem and we make a call and yeah even if it yeah even if it hurts at first like it's gonna make everything much better down the line kind of yeah i think like the reason why we didn't make that call is because we felt backed into a corner because we felt like it was a really important guest yeah. and we wanted to do everything that we could to make sure that they had the experience that they wanted to have Mm -hmm. and so we set an unrealistic goal for ourselves right yeah and then we weren't able to deliver on it even though i think we thought that we were going like i don't think when he ordered it 
everyone was like, there's no way we can do that. (laughs) I think we were probably annoyed, Mm. but you know, like the server asked if we could do it and we were like, yeah, we want to make it happen. And then we just were unable to. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it was the wrong call. Definitely. Like, but I don't think, I don't know. Like, I don't know if saying no would have resulted in the same thing necessarily, but it might have, you know? Right. Like if we had said, no, we can't do an egg white omelet. He might've just been like, okay, well, see you later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We wouldn't have wasted 45 minutes of his time, I guess, but right. yeah. Yeah. He wouldn't have actively told Kevin Spacey, Benicio del Toro. <laughs> del Toro. Um, I can't. Uh, one of one Don't of the Baldwin guys. I can't remember who else is in Usual Suspects. <laughs> yeah, it's like thirty Baldwins in that movie, isn't it? <laughs> it like when I was when I was racking my brain trying to think of big, big, big embarrassing mistakes. Like I, I would keep coming back to just the feeling of like being whited out with chits and whatever not being able to execute in a timely manner and running out of mise en place yeah. and stuff like that and one thing again, again not to like pass the buck but it it kept making me think that i had been put into a lot of service situations where we just weren't it just the, the expectations weren't realistic and the yeah. planning hadn't been done like for instance like to go back to that to the Hobart's kitchen because it was a live music often in the evenings, it'd be like the restaurant's empty and then a show starts at seven. So everyone comes at six and expects to eat dinner in the hour before, like, you know, the restaurant is full at six and everybody mm-hmm. wants dinner before the show starts. And so we would get whited out and bill times would be very long and it was extremely, um, stressful yeah but it so that was 13 years ago and in hindsight it's like well we're offering an a la, like our regular a la carte menu during a concert yeah. where the entire restaurant effectively has to turn over in an hour why would we do that to ourselves why wouldn't like right. all those people are there to to hear the music and talk to their friends why don't you just like run a special and it's like mm-hmm. you have a choice of two entrees you can have chicken or beef or whatever it is and just like yeah. do something that you can make nail. a realistic <laughs> yeah. service for yourself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And when I was thinking about these things too, like that, you know, like there's, I've been in a lot of stressful situations or, you know, been in a lot of situations where, yeah, people got, it took a long time for people to get food, but I, I didn't necessarily usually feel like those things were my fault. Like I felt like right. they were institutional problems or they were the fault of like the you know, person who was in charge of the kitchen at the time or whatever. And mm. I mean, I, I have been in charge of kitchens where we've run into, you know, problems like that. But I, I, I think that, you know, I, I try to be much more realistic, um, you know, about what I actually can execute. I think like, I don't know, just like doing catering for a really long time makes you very conservative yeah, in terms of trying to figure out what is executable or not you know like even (laughs) or i'm just always very skeptical of you know like the situations you know like of of like what situation we're actually going to be in once we get on site somewhere Mm -hmm. you know like and so i try to really 
you know, make sure that that we try to do something that is going to be, um, you know, like realistically executable, even if something goes wrong. You right. Know? Yeah. I, w- I would go so. F- and so I think, sorry, I was going to say, like, I would, I would go so far as to say that, especially working in catering, like catering made me risk adverse, like it, it to, yeah, to, yeah, uh, exactly. to a fault perhaps in some, it was like, yeah, well, I haven't made that before. I'm not going to make it for the first time at a catering event because I don't know all of the right. unknowns, <laughs> um, all, all of the unknown factors in a, in a catering situation, but. Yeah, I feel that way too. Like, uh, uh, yeah, I'm less, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, more conservative and and less willing to like just try new things on the fly. I think, yeah, because of all of that, because mm-hmm. of because it's ingrained in me that every little thing has to be planned out and there has to be a backup plan for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but then I also think that it's helped me in the way of like being able to organize things in a service that makes everything like executable and quick, you know? Right. Um, and predictable so, and yeah. And predictable. Yeah. There's a, I feel like that's a strength of mine for yeah. sure. Now. I can't remember if we've talked about this, but there's, um, there's a, sorry, now deceased, but there, there was a, an American military commander, uh, named David Hackworth. Okay. Um, and he had a quote like about military operations that said if you if you find yourself in a fair fight then you haven't planned properly and i feel the exact way Mm. about kitchen service like about food service now where it's like right if you if you have 40 minute bill times and you're running out of product or whatever else then it's like you're just not you're not you haven't done it right you're doing the wrong thing or you haven't planned right so just like you haven't planned properly and, and i don't just mean like from the line cooks perspective like you know, having mise en place and stuff. I mean, like, no, from no, a, like from like from the, the overall like yeah. service planning and the planning of how to execute the dishes yeah, and, and what, where to keep the mise en place yeah. and how to make the flow work and yeah. all of those things affect. Yeah. And if you plan all those things right, then you can put out the same meal with absolutely no hitches that you would run into problems with if you don't plan them correctly. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that quote. It's a gooder. Yep. Some things from the military. Definitely apply in the kitchen, not yeah. apply, but yeah. Maybe there's an episode in there somewhere. Isn't that I've two is one and one is none, Alan. <laughs> you know that one? Two is one and one is none. Yeah. What does that mean? Doesn't make any sense. It's a very I just I just did the math very... on this paper and it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh well, okay. It's a it's a military idiom. I don't know where it comes from, but it's about having a backup of everything oh, that I you see. need that might be mission critical. Yeah. So anything that you need to complete your service, if you have one of that thing and it fails, then you are doomed. <laughs> if you have two of that thing and one of them fails, well, then you have a backup. Right. So then you have, you know, so two is one, one is none. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Two is one, okay, good. one is none. It's kind it's akin to uh, on time is 15 minutes early. It, it, <laughs> right. in that yeah, yeah. it doesn't make any logical sense but uh that's how you should operate yeah exactly okay Alan. i told you my joe mantegna story what do you got what i i just i listed all the mistakes that i've ever made oh <laughs> no episode over no. drop the music <laughs> <laughs> um 
I do have one more important one. Um, <laughs> and it's from, so still, still quite early on uh, in my career, I was, what well, doesn't matter where I was working. I won't even say, uh, but I, we were cooking, <laughs> um, we were making pork pies for a lunch service. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of a, a bootstrap operation. And so I, like I had brought in these Pyrex um, pie plates or like, like, yeah, pie casseroles from home mm-hmm. to cook these pork pies in and loading up for the lunch service. One of the Pyrex uh, pie plates got dropped, not from like a great height, but it got dropped on a workbench and it cracked. And I looked at the pie plate and I looked at the pie and it seemed like, yes, the dish had cracked, but I didn't see shards or anything like that. And so I okay. took I took the pie out of the dish and put it I can't like onto a sheet tray or something like that. Is this like an individual sized dish kind of thing? Uh, it no, like- it was it was like a full size like it whatever an eight inch pie and they okay. were being cut um um into into wedges for like a for a casual lunch service. Um, gotcha. And, and you were able to deplate the pie in one big piece yeah like my i don't know if you've had my pies but like the crust is like super crisp and (laughs) yeah with uh with (laughs) us with a good steel spatula you can you can pick up the whole pie and just yeah unmold the whole pie yeah Yeah. my mouth's watering alan um I'll, i'll make one for you someday um and anyways, so the the pie went out, and I wasn't part of the service team, but it the pie got served, and sure enough, a customer came back and said there was they were surprisingly cool about it, but there had been oh a God. piece of glass in their pie. Holy shit! And so this was again That's like so frightening. Yeah, like it it could have been much 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 worse, and I shouldn't have sent it out um but anyways they they came back and they were like just so you know i'm not hurt but there was a piece of glass in this pie that i bought um and again that was like a switch in my brain where i was like well that's never gonna happen again and to give you to illustrate how how serious i am like even this term at earnest during service um a dish broke and it wasn't just like dropped on the floor it was it had hit part of the service line and broke right and so it's just like okay everything that we're plating right now is going in the garbage all of those dishes are going to the dish pit any any container on the cold table whatever that was open that is being thrown out you're bringing your backups to the line we're scrubbing every surface we're sweeping like and that's it it kill whatever like it, it it makes obviously the people who are waiting for food at that moment like have to wait a lot longer but yeah. there's just in my mind now there's no alternative it's just like everything gets anything that was open yeah exactly there's out. just no it's, that's the end of it there's no way of knowing like even i don't know like even little things like yeah like that's happened to me in several places not to me directly but like mm. someone 
is like drinking out of a glass vessel and they place it up like on top of the line and it falls and breaks and like you know you see that you know like okay well the glass is in two big pieces but you just have to throw out all of your mise en place there's just yeah. no other way to be safe about it yeah and yeah so that's why if you ever see someone drinking out of a glass vessel in an operating kitchen you should slap it out of their hand <laughs> well I, I maybe not maybe not that but just not towards the food <laughs> right yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then, and like, you're also storing, yeah, like you said, like it, it could be a plate too though. Right. So like, yeah. you know, yeah. and you're always, you always have like ceramics and things like that on the line and yeah, one can break and then you just, there's no choice. You just have to stop everything, throw everything out. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. that's the worst when that happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's the only way to operate. It's the only way to be safe. Yeah. It'd be horrible if someone swallowed a piece of glass or a piece of porcelain. And it's usually like if you, it it happened to me once as a customer or so as a guest actually at um, uh, at Corso at Corso Thirty Two, where oh wow really yeah like where like we were in the middle of dinner and um, the whatever the entrees were taking a while and eventually the the server just came around and said just so you know like we had. There was one of the overhead lights oh, in the kitchen. Didn't happen to you where oh, you, no. where <laughs> no, you found a piece of glass oh, God, in your no. food. Oh, okay. No, sorry. Okay. I didn't I didn't voice that properly. Um right. no, where the, the server came around and said, just so you know, like there was an overhead light in the kitchen that broke. And so they've they're just basically replacing the entire line and cleaning everything down. And once once everybody in the dining room knew that and the service just came around and poured everyone another glass of wine, like everyone was fine to yeah. wait. So it was kind of like, it's extremely, it's hard as a line cook, like because of the stress you're feeling. But the reality is like, if your right. front of house crew can help smooth it over, then it's really not that I, everyone's happy to wait as long as they know they're not eating glass. Right. So, yeah, I would say in most circumstances, that's probably true. But the problem that you run into in the dining room, too, is that if like people have to wait around in an additional 20 minutes to get their meal. And if you have more than like if you have reservations after those people yeah, yeah. and you have to get them out on time and then you're trying to rush your tables to, you know, because you brought their food late, you're trying to, you know, rush them to, yeah. you know, get them out so that you can seat the next round of customers. That's like pretty stressful, too. Yeah, it's always it's always best if you don't break glass on the line. I'll, we'll just leave. It. Yeah, just try to <laughs> just not do it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, um, our our uh, ice cream maker. Um, it's called the Batch Freezer. It's like a big ice cream machine that can make twenty five liters of ice cream in like. 15 minutes or freeze 25 liters of ice cream in 15 mm -hmm. minutes. Um, there's like a little door and like a little slot that the ice cream comes out of and it's held on by two screws. Mm -hmm. And one of those screws went missing like a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I was just like panicking because I was like, I am certain that, you know, it's in a pail of ice cream because it wasn't on the floor. Like I, we swept the floors like um and i looked all around and looked you know in the 
dish area where we, you know, like where we put the parts from the machine through mm-hmm. and I looked everywhere and I couldn't find it. And usually you find it. If there's something like that missing, you usually find it. Right. Um, and so I was just like terrified that, you know, someone was going to find a screw in their scoop of ice cream or a pint of ice cream. Yeah. Um, but then sweeping up at the end of the day, somebody found it. It was like way across the room in like a totally other area. And we found mm-hmm. it and I was just like, Oh my God, thank God. Cause yeah, even just like little things like that. Like if, if something little goes missing, you have to know where it went. And if you don't, then it's probably in somebody's food. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a, you know. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got another one, Alan. Okay. <laughs> This one's super embarrassing. I don't know. I might have talked about this before at some point, but um, when I was uh, working in, what's that? On a recording? Maybe. Oh. I don't know. Wait. I talk about this story fairly often, <laughs> so it might might. I know. Apart. Your souffles were perfect. God, get over it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were very good, Alan. <laughs> the instructor was very impressed. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, when I was working in Copenhagen um, for like 10 months that I was there, I was working in this restaurant called Fiskebar. And in my first week that I was there, um, the station that they started me on, well, I, I think I started, like I think my first week I mainly just did prep and kind of like shadowed a couple stations and like ran to get backups for people and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first station that I actually had to like kind of run and set up everything for was a raw bar so in the dining room they had like a little corner with like a service bar um people couldn't really sit at it i don't think it was but but like you know people in the dining room could come over and and watch you putting together um like all of the raw fish things that they had on the menu mm-hmm. so we were shucking oysters and making like a i think there was like a trout tartar and there were several raw fish dishes. Mm-hmm. I don't remember them all off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, so I it was my first day of setting up the raw bar on my own. And I had done all of the prep and I had everything, all the mise en place that I needed. And I had all my mise en place in place. Um, but I was like really racing um, to get everything set up before the restaurant opened and the raw bar has to be completely set up before the restaurant opens because once people start coming in you know then you have to like clear down the station and everything has to look put away and everything has to be kind of ready to go because the customers are there watching you work Mm -hmm. um and so i was like really racing to get everything set up and i had all my mise en place and everything was in place (laughs) you had your mise en place and everything was in place (laughs) both of those things (laughs) but was it in its place (laughs) everything was in its place and the mise en place was where it needed to go (laughs) so anyways then um but but like there was still a bunch of plateware that i needed to bring Mm -hmm. out um that was like the last thing that i was doing so you need a bunch of cold plates put them in the fridge um so I went to the back and I grabbed like this huge stack of plates. I think it was like 30, um, like big rounds and, um, customers were like the restaurant was open. Customers were coming in. I think two or three groups had, had already come in and servers were seating them. And, um, 
and I had this huge stack of plates and I walked through the swinging door into the restaurant and I like stubbed my toe <laughs> or tripped on something and I dropped 30, oh a stack of 30 God. plates on the floor. That must have been so loud. Like on the loud. concrete oh floor. Oh my God. <laughs> oh man. It's so loud when someone drops a plate. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It was like legit one of the loudest noises I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, I believe it. And it just like... 30 plates were shattered <laughs> on the floor which is like and they were nice plates like yeah. this was a nice restaurant <laughs> these were nice plates Th they must have been like i don't know what they like they were probably 30 dollars <laughs> each canadian or something mm -hmm. like like if you in canadian money they're probably like you know 30 dollars mm -hmm. each for a plate at least like maybe more <laughs> i don't know and i just like in one second completely destroyed the ambience of the dining room and <laughs> like cost the restaurant like that yeah exactly <laughs> on like in my first week um they kept yeah it was a nightmare i felt so bad and i was so embarrassed and um you know some people came and helped me clean it up and and then i went on and you know served the raw bar that night right. and i think i did okay and then like at the end of the night the owner of the restaurant was like like he took me aside like in his office and closed the door and was like i it's really hard for me to not fire you oh really <laughs> like, yeah yeah um but you know like he could and then see he that say? you know <laughs> he didn't fire me he was he you know told me it was a horrible mistake they didn't like make me pay for them or anything like right. that but you know and then i think you know like as time wore on a couple months down the road, I think that they were happy that they kept me like, mm -hmm. um, you know, like I, I did good work there and I think that they were happy to have me on the crew, but damn, like in my first week I cost them so much money and I felt so bad and it was just so, ugh, it was the worst way to start a job. Yeah. Yeah. It might be one of my like worst, most embarrassing things that's happened to me. Mm -hmm. I can picture like I've not Shell, I've never done anything like that. But uh I can I can picture <laughs> like that one I feel like like most of the things I feel like have happened to most cooks, but yeah. that one was like over the top. Like while it was happening, I was like, I cannot believe that this is happening yeah. right now. Like this is unbelievable. Like Well, yeah. I was gonna say, like I can I can picture your thoughts and feelings at the moment like shortly after you stubbed your toe or tripped or whatever it was and you realize that the plates are going to hit the ground i i know the feeling oh, even though i haven't yeah. dropped 30 plates at once like i know the feeling really yeah where <laughs> yeah where time is just dilating out in front of you and you're <laughs> yeah. just like no i can't believe this is going to happen right now and it's interesting like as i'm i'm thinking of your or sorry of the owner like who you talked to at the end of that night, like when somebody makes a horrible mistake, but it's not part of a recurring pattern and there's no evidence of it being like intentional or of it being due to mm -hmm. any gross negligence. And so you, I mean, it was pretty negligent of me to just carry, to carry a stack them in of the plates that place, big. Yeah. Like surely they it have was carts. a bad decision. Like I, I totally made a bad call. Like yeah. I, I did it because I was in a hurry yeah. and I was like, oh, you know, like I can 
do this. But yeah, it was the wrong call. Like I should have just taken an extra couple minutes and carried two stacks of plates mm-hmm. and that wouldn't have happened. But And then you would have only cost them $500 instead of 1000 right? <laughs> I mean, it's possible. But, you know, like I think it was, you know, probably that I was carrying so oh, many right. plates yeah, and they were sense. so heavy. Yeah. And like I may have like stumbled carrying like 15 plates but been able to recover right. because I wasn't carrying such a heavy oh, load. But like yeah. they were really heavy and yeah. Yeah, it was a bad call. Totally my fault. Not really an accident. Just so if you were the manager, hubris, Alan, it was hubris. <laughs> so maybe if you were the manager at that point, you would have fired yourself. I mean, I don't think I would have. I. <laughs> I mean, look at me. Look I, at this face. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody does make mistakes and everybody makes bad calls. And, you know, like, I I guess it would depend on the person. If it was like somebody that I, you know, thought was a really good hire and I thought that they were going to be a good fit and I could tell that they had like a good set of skills and that they were going to fit in and then they made a really bad mistake, then, you know, Mm -hmm. Mistakes happen. But, you know, if it was somebody that I was like questioning whether they wanted to, you know, like I I have I have let people go for making mistakes before that, you know, the fact that they made a mistake kind of wound up just being an excuse to let them go because I didn't really think that they were fitting in anyways, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that's a thing. And so I guess like. I don't know. I guess that they valued me enough that that they thought that the proposition of keeping me was like <laughs> going to work out in their favor. I don't know why they thought that at that moment, but, but if you, it was a very generous if thing you for them break to break another thousand dollars worth of plates in one instant. Then, <laughs> boy, you better yeah, exactly. believe that there will be repercussions. And like all those customers, like they were just like, what <laughs> is happening? Like it was so loud and everyone was just like, oh my God. Like, I mean. I... Job opening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They were probably shouting job opening in Danish and I just couldn't understand it. <laughs> that was uh, oh, a, man. a friend of mine who kind of came up in the Earl's kitchens, um, worked with someone who anytime any piece of glassware or ceramics or whatever was broken, he would just call it job opening. Um, and yeah. I won't. Yeah, that's like <laughs> if you don't say that and you work at Earl's, then you get then they <laughs> deduct like ten bucks from your. You have pay to either something. say job opening or OPA. And yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. And so that that's it for you. Hey, only what for? What was it? Three or four embarrassing things have ever happened to you? Honestly, those are the ones. Those I think I only said three are the ones that like, like we said off the hop, are like, like so memorable that they changed how you operate yeah, basically yeah. um but the one that i think i actually already <laughs> related to you recently but um that didn't uh, i guess i don't know I, I wouldn't say that it's well maybe it is maybe it is i'm still talking about it seared into my memory is um <laughs> like no one 
no paying customer left disappointed. I certainly didn't put anyone in danger, but there was one staff meal at Elm, like at, in the Elm catering oh, kitchen. Right, right. We would always, we would always make lunch for each other. Um, and one day we had risotto left over from a catering event. And so I said, oh, I'm going to make arancini for everyone. And I, I mentioned that casually. And, and I don't think anyone who was working in the kitchen at that moment had heard of arancini or had arancini. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, man, arancini. Oh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's like take cold risotto, shape it into a ball. You can stuff cheese into it. You bread it in deep. Fr- oh, yeah. Oh, you don't know it? Oh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like Corso makes it. Oh, yeah. I had, I had these beautiful ones in Italy. And I, I'll make, listen. I'll make you guys Aaron. I'll make some for you. Yeah. Don't worry. It's going to be so delicious. <laughs> You're just going to love it. Yeah. And I think if I remember right, I even like lunch was a little late because I was spending time on Aaron Chini um, and probably neglecting other duties, but I was going to make these beautiful, crispy Aaron Chini for everyone. Um, running late, spending time. And then finally they're shaped and breaded and I, drop them into the fryer and they all just immediately disintegrate into nothing just like individual (laughs) grains of rice floating in um fryer oil and so like it's okay we're having deep fried rice yeah (laughs) it's late and there's no lunch and i kind of like was yeah trying to impress everyone. Did the problem get solved though? Because I do seem to remember having arancini for lunch there one time. Like well, did, I revis- did we then like- I did it again because I was so embarrassed that oh, okay. I needed to you redeem you yourself. and I because you even I don't know if you were part of the like me grandstanding about making arancini, but you were there <laughs> when we ate, like when lunch was served. And you and I had a long right. conversation about you you had suggested that it was because the risotto had been made earlier that day and something about the starches not having time to gel Retrograde. or whatever it is yeah. um which might be true but i i fix the problem just by adding breadcrumbs like like smashing breadcrumbs into their risotto right. um just to give yeah. it more binding power or whatever um so i i did remake arancini like we had proper arancini for lunch Probably not that same week because I I needed time to heal, um, <laughs> but at some point that season uh, I remade it for everyone. I got yeah. you, but that was pretty embarrassing just because I had hyped it up, and <laughs> yeah, it was such a like such a clear and and like instantaneous failure it was like into the oil oh yeah it's not working no this is not yeah. gonna work at all yeah and there's nothing you can do to salvage it at that point <laughs> quick grab a phone somebody order a yeah, pizza basically yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe there's another episode in here but like i think there's a whole bunch of things that like that are like smaller less kind of like pivotal or less kind of like traumatizing things that like happen to everyone Mm. like without fail everyone goes through it like everyone cuts themselves at some point that was that's one of them for sure right yeah everybody cuts themselves everybody burns themselves what else but like well (laughs) everyone at some point 
is like mopping the floor at the end of the day and then goes to like straight like goes to ring out the mop and dumps the entire mop bucket on the floor that's true that's happened to every single person i almost feel like that's one of the i feel like that is in the same category for me as the ones that are etched into my brain was like well that's never going to happen again so like if i'm going (laughs) over the transom of a whatever like going over a ledge like i Mm -hmm. always put a hand down like i have one hand on the mop kind of pushing and steering one hand on the bucket yeah Yeah. i mean i'm i'm really careful about it now too but like not that long ago like a few years ago i was like closing up a district one time and it was like way after it had happened to me like you know in my early career and i was aware of how tippy mop buckets Mm -hmm. were and yeah like i was just you know i think i was even being careful but just like something happened and like i moved the mop in a weird way and the bucket reacted in a weird way and i just completely covered the entire dining room floor Mm -hmm. in mop water and had to clean it up actually sorry now that i'm thinking about it the the long-term solution for me was not just being careful it's when you are using okay when the mop is in the bucket and you're pushing on the mop Mm -hmm. to drive the bucket around the mop can't be in the ringer if the mop is in the ringer oh, yeah for so it sure has to be in the in the actual bucket and that kind of solves all of the problems yeah yes and no <laughs> well if you're driving it responsibly and it's in the bucket then yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly but i think what happened to me at district was like not like i think i was going over like a transition or something Mm -hmm. and I was being careful, but like something happened and I lost my balance and I pushed it or something like, Mm -hmm. you know, like it was like a little accidental, like I wasn't doing something like I wasn't driving the mop bucket around with the mop in the, (laughs) in the ringer ringer or anything stupid like that. (laughs) Like, you know, it's not stupid. It's just, yes, it is stupid. (laughs) It's a bad idea. And if you're doing that, you're, you're like, asking for that mop bucket to spill all over the floor but i was not asking for that i was being careful but you know shit can still happen stuff can still happen (laughs) real potty mouths and a cheapers (laughs) i know why am i swearing (laughs) um so yeah that's one of them everybody tips over the mop bucket when they're like done the floor is like beautifully mopped Mm. and everything's clean and that's like the last thing you do at the end of the night and then suddenly the mop water is all over Mm. the floor everyone's done that also like carrying out a garbage bag that's too full and you go to lift (laughs) it into like a garbage bin and the entire contents just drop out the bottom that has happened to every single person yeah that's a good one yeah i don't know i think that i feel like there's a bunch of them Mm -hmm. but those are the only two that i can think of off the top of my head but like i don't know like also picking up like a box of produce or something in the bottom falling out of the right. box. Like that's happened to everybody. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, we'll start a list. Thanks for listening to Food Court, a podcast recorded in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Food Court is hosted by Alan Sudaby and Shale McDonald. Theme music by Ryan and Shale McDonald. Make sure to subscribe to Food Court in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or in your favorite podcast player. We love to hear from our listeners. Please drop us a line at feedback at foodcourt.fm or find us on Instagram at foodcourtpodcast. If you want to spread the word, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.